You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about Mike Grella, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. From the kickoff to the shootout, we're amped up, we're ramped up. For a breakaway from a set play, it's a give and go. Hello, everybody, and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I'm your host, Ian, with me as always. A man when reached for comment about why I couldn't re- record on Monday said, listen, I'm sure I'll get an explanation. I'm sure on Monday we'll get, I'm sick of explanations. How many more explanations am I going to get? It's Harrison Crow. Say hey to everybody, Harrison. Well, listen, and first of all, hey, hey. and second of all, you know what? It's not our fault that, you know, we've never gotten a podcast out on time. Know. You know, it, it's not our fault. So what if it's been two years and there has been minor turnover? Yeah. It's not our fault. There was an incident in New York last week. What about Columbus a year ago? The players it's... did so well in the second half. They put on a brave performance, Harrison, but they came away with nothing because of because of the officials. Now, obviously, it's, of course, it's Casey's fault. It's Casey's fault. Always Casey's now, fault. Yeah. Now, obviously, of course, I'm alluding to uh, the great James O'Connor, uh, who is uh, speaking out in frustration with with the professional referee organization PRO, Pro for short. Uh, with uh, you know, there was a, there was an incident on Sunday, Harrison. I don't know if you saw the incident, but uh, there there was an incident involving a Dom Dwyer. <laughs> Can you believe that? I'm shocked. I'm shocked. And uh, a, a slide tackle, uh, a, a high boot, if you will, uh, a Wayne Rooney, uh, Golazo. And, uh, you know, it just kind of everything sort of went nuts a little bit after that. So uh, let's start with, with this. Let's, we'll start with this because this is fun to talk about and address. Uh, first things first, I want to make very clear to anyone that's listening that doesn't actually know, that's a foul. You can't do that. I don't know where anybody got this idea that like, well, he didn't hit him. It's not fine. Like you don't get to almost, you don't get to try to hit somebody. Wait, it's so okay it, as long as you miss. So if I, I can't swing my leg at you wildly with my studs up, trying to stop you from doing what you're doing. Yeah. If I get out of the way, you're fine. Nothing you did was wrong. Right. That's that. That's what, that's what everybody thought. That's it. That's what every Atlanta fan thought. That's what every well, I mean, I don't know. In this instance, I think they're all too happy to, to pile on Orlando. <laughs> That's true. That's probably true. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it, it's it's a foul. It's in the rules. It's just a foul. You know, it's a foul because they always call it as a foul every time we have this conversation. Uh, if you like that, you're gonna love the whole. Just because they got the ball doesn't mean it's not a foul. That's another another one uh, that that seems to have eluded a lot of people. So that is my refereeing soapbox. Uh, but and and but but to be fair, and this is and this is where and this is where people have an issue with it's the consistency, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. But I mean, like that's there's a lot of there's a lot of times a player comes away with the ball and the referee gives them the benefit of the doubt, not because what they did wasn't um, not allowed, but they came away with the ball and they they made it look maybe a little bit more smoother than and then perhaps it was. Um, yeah, it, there are situations that do occur that just yeah that that violate the the premise and the spirit of that rule, but aren't called back. And Harrison, so when you do see this happen, fans get a. I mean, can it, I go ahead? Go ahead. Let me tell you something. I composed a saying just for this. Okay. Okay. Do it. Two wrongs do not make a right. I wrote that. You can quote me on that. And just because someone made a bad call last week does not mean we should make a bad call this week. That's a never-ending spiral of badness. And I feel like people aren't understanding this. And I get that it's frustrating when you see a bad call made. And you don't. There's no like obligation of anybody to make a call in your favor after that because like to make it fair again. That's not making it fair. That's making things more unfair because it's breaking the rule. Now... You know me. 
I am a, a literalist when it comes to Royals Harrison. I am a authoritarian presence in our lives and our friendship. Uh, I don't. St- <laughs> no, I can't go much further with that. But I, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's no. true. There's not a consistency. But just because someone got the call wrong last week doesn't mean we should get it wrong this week. Uh, I, I agree with you. Yeah. If somebody didn't see it right the last week, then, then and we did see it right this week. That was a good call. That was the right call. Don Dwyer knew exactly what Don Dwyer was doing. And, uh, yeah, he got punished for it because he he did an against the rules thing. And he should know the rules better than anybody since he skirts them more than any other player in the league. <laughs> uh, Felipe Martins is, is very disappointed with you right now. Sorry, Felipe. Yeah. You're right. You're right. A lot of people live on that edge, Harrison. A lot of there, there, there's a few. There's a few players in, in the major league soccer that do that. I'm just going to say, if you're going to live on the edge of the rules, you probably know them pretty well. And, and Don Dwyer should not have acted as shocked as he was to, to get whisked for that. And this wouldn't be anything worth talking about at all if what happened next didn't happen. And that was a rather, well, it was an unusual event in the world of soccer. We saw a goal from a place where you don't score goals from. You don't really shoot from them. No, it, and that's <clears throat> what was crazy is that angle. I actually looked it up last year, and I wish I, I would have found the article before um, we we recorded. But uh, I did I did a bunch of research at one point in time. I think actually you and I talked about this that there was um, only maybe a dozen or so chances from beyond uh, that third, right? Basically, the the eighteen mm-hmm. yard box extended beyond. You know the eighteen yard box. Uh, I want to say laterally, right? Um, so there's maybe a half dozen shots, maybe maybe a dozen on each side, and it, it just doesn't happen. So we don't. And have a lot a of those shots are just crosses that got out of control. Correct. That probably were credited unfairly. <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember Giovinco scoring a goal from a similar place, and that's the only one in my mind, other than this Rooney one, that I can think of where. I mean, I, I know I've seen we've seen a couple corner kick goals in MLS, but I don't think I've seen one from right there on a free kick kind of done. No, just, so uh, the one that I'm thinking of is uh, uh, the left back, left wing for Sporting Kansas City, Jimmy uh, Majonda. Jimmy, um, Jimmy, yeah. yeah. He had a yeah. sensational goal last year uh, from not quite that angle. Uh, he had a much larger goal mouth and, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get into it. Uh, but Sasha Kleschen, and this is, this is kind of why we bring this up, right? Sasha Kleschen brought up the fact that, uh, not that Rooney scored from the spot, although that definitely, you know, didn't help, help them at all. But Mm -hmm. the fact that he took it basically, uh, somewhere between, uh, you know, uh, two to six feet from where the actual spot of the ball uh, the spot of the foul occurred, right? And, you know, I, I brought this up because I immediately my thought process was the spotting matters, right? The the spotting of any ball, anytime you can basically give yourself uh, an unfair advantage, th- that helps you. Um, and Ted uh, Knudsen basically came in and said something to the effect of that there is zero difference uh, from a value perspective in where think, the ball do, was. Do you think Sasha Clash when he tweeted that was like, this is going to get the analytics community going today. <laughs> I'm going to really rough things up on Twitter for those eggheads. I, I bet you he he hasn't even, he, I, I didn't, he's not, you know, tw- like, what he associated with any of the tweets or any of the conversations that, that were had. But that being said, I, I think that it's really interesting when we start having these conversations because the ball from the perspective of a shot, right? And that's what we just, that's our frame of reference yes. is from a shot, it, it, it probably doesn't matter, right? Like we're I, mostly because we don't have a huge data set, but from just looking at it, we can tell you, and you know, Diego Estevez uh, pointed this. Uh, uh, Estevo, I'm sorry, Estevo, yeah. um, pointed out that you're going to have almost double the amount of goal mouth than what of what you had if you move it to the left 
or move it to the right about six yards, right? That all of a sudden that goal mouth gets a little bit bigger and you have a less bend that you got to put on that ball. And on top of that, you're going to have more bodies that you're going to be able to stack between you and that goal mouth, which is basically what DC United ended up doing, right? They just absolutely stacked the bo- that box and they created a lot of problems for Brian Rowe to try to get a hand on that ball. Yeah. And so we we kind of were approaching it from the goal metric value. Ted kind of brought up a really interesting point that said from a possession perspective and not just uh, the idea that a goal can be scored immediately from that spot, but basically what else can you do, right? The expected life value of a possession. I mean, that's... EPV itself it has been kind of a, a metric within the NBA community the last couple of years. Um, it's similar to um, basically last year, a couple of our really smart guys put together something. Uh, Chug Heho and um, Jamon Moore, uh, Jamin Moore, excuse me. Um, and I don't know if Kevin was involved with that. Kevin Meekis. I think Elliot was involved. Oh, yeah. Too. Elliot, of course, uh, was involved. Anyways, they came <clears> up <throat> with expected uh, possession goals. E- uh, what? EPG. X- XPG. XPG. Uh, however you want to say it. And, and for a lack of glam and mathematical like breakdown, it's basically a single number that tells you at a given time where players are on the pitch and where and how that how likely a goal is to be scored for either the attacking team or the defending team, right? The yeah. Basically, the closer to the goal you're going to get, um, the more likely a goal is going to be scored for you. The further away from the goal, you know, the and closer to your goal, you know, the, the higher chances are something bad's going to happen. And that takes into account a lot of the spatial dynamics that are going on, right? It's not just simply how where that ball is, but it's also relative to all the different dynamics that are on the field. And so when you take that into consideration, you think this compact group of individuals is basically kind of moving two degrees or not even two degrees, maybe one degree. It makes sense for that value, regardless of whether it's six feet to the left or six feet to the right, right. to be basically nil. Yeah. So that is something I hadn't considered. I thought it was kind of interesting from that perspective. <clears throat> from somebody it's, not necessarily looking at it from a mathematical standpoint, what are things that you're taking into account on that when you're watching that? Um, I mean, I think it's something that players do like all the time. So I, I, I'm not like, um, I'm not outraged by it. I mean, it, it, it yeah, it was sneaky. Um, I know I just said, you know, the rules are the rules and should be applied literally and absolutely. Um, and consistency does not matter in the force of, of rightness and wrongness. Um, but this is something that players do literally every time there's a free kick. They move the ball back or forward wherever it gets like a little bit better bend. Um, <clears throat> you know, it, it's not an unusual thing to see. So so for like practical purposes, um, you know, do we need to do a more exact job of spotting fouls in soccer? I think is the question. Um, because right now I do think it's just generally a uh, suggestion of where you should kind of place the ball and if you go if you push that line too far you're going to get someone occasionally a ref's going to blow you and just blow blow the whistle on you and say like okay yeah you move that back to to where it was Um, but generally players are given a little bit of leeway in this Um, now when it's in the middle of the area or right outside the box like 20 yards away a yard here or there maybe isn't as noticeable perhaps because you've still got a big angle either way um but yeah this does call into the idea that maybe refs should be paying a little more attention to exactly where that ball happened exactly where the ball is spotted and the ball shall not be um <clears throat> kind of moved from that spot at, at a player's discretion i know a lot of times they, they kind of pick it up to sort of put the, the 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 nozzle a certain way and when they put it back down it's just a little bit further a little bit closer <laughs> yeah um so uh, I, I guess my main takeaway is like, yeah, I, I think maybe maybe so. Maybe maybe, maybe we should do a better job, uh, or officials rather. It's not my job to do. But officials should do a better job of making sure that the fouls are spotted accurately. I do think it's kind of interesting looking at it from a expected uh, possession uh, goal, uh, XPG 
perspective because you know they have kind of an interesting little uh map put up or at least uh jamon uh put something out there uh last year they kind of have a had a nice little breakdown because it's basically uh you know 162 subzone charts right for mm-hmm. each specific value and basically he got i would say roughly one percent increase uh, Wayne Rooney did moving the ball to the right, but it looks like there was a zero percent value, and it went up to zero point one moving in that little zone, uh, roughly. So I mean, you can say the values similar, uh, you know, but at the same time, uh, I think I yeah. think me and you are going to agree on this. Of all the things that we don't disagree on, right? (laughs) Right. I mean, we agree on a lot of things, but I think we're also going to agree on this. I want my 1% if I can get it. Right. Uh, uh, You know uh, what I mean? Like, it it seems infinitesimal and it seems small. It seems like a small amount of difference, but uh, if we're playing odds, and I don't think we are in this free kick situation, I would say more that um, if we're shooting craps and if I know holding a dice this way gives me a 1% better chance of getting the role i want i'm gonna hold the dice that way <laughs> right <laughs> well and so it, if know, i can if i scooting the ball a foot this way is going to give me a one percent better chance of scoring i'm going to scoot the ball if the ref will let me so our friend nerd league uh peer uh jacob beckett who who does some stuff with us also on asa uh mm-hmm. he tweeted me he said uh if you have a penny and then find another on the ground you just doubled your net worth but you are still very poor. And that's true. That's <laughs> I think true. that's a, that's a great summation that. for this. Mm-hmm. It, it's still not a great situation regardless. And Orlando needed to do a better job probably marking. And if Brian Rowe was in a situation that seemed at the point, at the, at the buildup beforehand, they needed to address it, right? That, that needs yeah. to be something that they – their team and especially Brian Rowe probably as the leader of that back line or whoever the leader is on that yeah. back line usually either the goalkeeper uh, kind of a aged center back kind of takes that responsibility that yeah. communication needs to ha- needs to happen and i think that's ultimately the point that you could kind of you can kind of point the finger back to Sasha Kleschen and say it, it really wasn't a great position to be in like either way Wayne Rooney's not getting a huge opportunity here um, he struck the ball incredibly well. They did a terrible job uh, marking up and, and basically giving Roe the position to try to save that. Yeah, and if Orlando wants to avoid things like this in the future, the best way is not to ask for referee's help, but don't have Tom Dwyer slide tackle wildly with your ankles up or with your spikes up in the air at a player, uh, no matter where on the pitch, because that's a foul against the rules. So that was where the mistake was made, I think. Yeah, agreed. Um, if we if we want to draw the ultimate genesis back to the blame for that goal, um, you know that being said, I I understand where Orlando fans feel hard done. I really do. Um, certainly, there appeared to be some contact on Brian Rowe in that thing, and um, you know it, it's you're not you're not going to get that call every time. Um, like many uh, things in soccer, uh, it's it's a it's a, a, a perception issue. Um, certainly, I, I can see the case that the ball was well and truly past Brian Rowe and Steve Burbon by the time that foul occurred. Does that mean the foul shouldn't be called? Different refs have different ways of doing it, and ultimately your best uh, you know, situation there is to try to prevent giving up set pieces to players like Wayne Rooney who are really good at kicking balls. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard that before. Kicking <clears throat> Players that kick really good balls you don't want them to do that like on a consistent yeah. basis you don't want them to like be able to stop the ball put it wherever they want and then kick it at your goal yeah yeah that seems like that would be uh less advantageous you don't you don't give a good pool player ball in hand you don't give Wayne Rooney set pieces and that's your Ian's rule of soccer for the week um all right as, as well as pool as, as well as pool <laughs> uh all right let's uh let's move along from fair orlando uh and talk about um something else uh what 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 have we got on the lineup here today harrison what what is what is interesting you so matt hedges matt hedges matt hedges Hedges. all right we haven't talked about matt hedges in a while matt hedges matty hedges so um you know with all the stuff that's been coming out uh on the u.s men's national team over the last 
or last month, you know, a lot of a lot of things have been said about um, Aaron Long and his passing ability, as well mm-hmm, as um, mm-hmm. John Bro- Anthony Brooks. Is it is it John Brooks? John Anthony? How how are we addressing this? How are I just we? Say, I, I've always just thought it was John Brooks. I don't know John if he Brooks. added another name in there somewhere. I think originally he did have another name, and I think that I'm being rude and bringing it up. So okay. I'm just going to I mean, call I'll, him John Brooks. I mean, Brooks. if it's his name, it's probably okay. But yeah, I, th- I think it's just John Brooks. Okay. All I remember is like, and John Brooks has won it. So there you go. From the World Cup, remember that? Yeah, I do. I do remember that. I was in a very crowded uh, room that felt really sweaty. And I thought, my goodness, how am I going to put up with this draw? And you know, then he wins it. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with that being said, however, there's been a large emphasis, uh, not just on U.S. men's national team center backs, but on center backs in general that are playing the ball uh, more frequently. And mm, um, The evolution of the ball playing center back. Yeah, so I, I made a comment in, um, I think I made a comment in one of our slacks that Daniel Starris is basically, um, the, <laughs> yes. he, I, I, made, I made a reference to him being, uh, a cheap version of Matt Hedges. And somebody yeah. was like, why would you take a cheap version of Matt Hedges when you can just get Matt Hedges? And it sounded, it, it was kind of like one of those things I hadn't thought about, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so into uh, sometimes, and I think we, you and I both kind of do this. Uh, we look for, we can't get that prime. We can't get that, um, that, that state. Yeah. So we kind of look for, well, what's the cheap knockoff that's going to be suitable? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. We we bark and hunt in our uh, hypothetical soccer minds a lot. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and I think that analytical uh, resources kind of uh, allude you to doing that, right? Mm-hmm. It enables yeah, you're you. looking for. I mean, like really, what kind of drives this is finding what is undervalued. Exactly. And so, but sometimes we <clears throat> we forget we don't have to settle, right? Especially when it comes no. to certain <laughs> no. things like this. <clears throat> Not when it's just in our minds. No. And um, I started looking at the fact that Matt Hedges is a really good uh, ball playing center back, or at least has been over the last few years. He's yeah. been, you know, a pretty pretty decent passer. And the fact that he's done most of that with Walker Zimmerman uh, next to him, who's not necessarily the best uh, passer, but no, he, not Walker Zimmerman. Matt Hedges but, was next to Walker Zimmerman. The correct. Um, yes. So. It kind of led me to to taking a look and, and keeping kind of tabs on him over the course of this year. And what's been really kind of interesting is with Dallas changing their formation. You know, Luchi Gonzalez coming in and it, he's kind of made, put a little bit of a, a I put I said a, a twist to their formation, right? Uh, yeah. It, it, not yeah. just their formation, but their tactics behind it. Their overall philosophy. We alluded to this a couple of weeks ago. Dallas are a very passy team now. It, well, exactly. And while that we can kind of have that thought process that you know Carlos Guizzo or uh, Paxton Pomacol are kind of behind the center, uh, it's you know Matt Hedges is in the top three in terms of passes per game right now, and mm-hmm. that kind of I shouldn't say passes per game, touches per game, and that kind of shocked me. Um, not because he doesn't get a lot on the ball in the times pass, but um, he's getting more, and with that. Um, his expected passing rating basically went up, which means he was making safer passes. And I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, he's he's they're building more out of the back, right? That's kind of what what's implied. And as I kind of dug into this, and I talked to a couple of people, uh, Dustin Nation, Jason Poon, and we we kind of uh, individually wrapped on this. And you know, Dallas is using hedges more to change the point of attack and to kind of help build those opportunities but then i started playing around with a little bit of data and i noticed he's actually attempting more long balls and completing more long balls uh and i, I wish i could quote you the opta definition of what a long ball is but he's it's comp- a ball that's kicked long yeah i, I would surmise as much right yeah. so he's basically finding somebody a good 30 40 yards down downfield and mm-hmm. he's connecting with them, whether that's Paxton yeah. Pomical, whether that's Reggie Cannon, um, who are two of his favorite targets, which makes kind of sense since he's sitting a little bit more to the right. Um, he's finding them, and he's really, really good at it. He's really been very good about picking out these opportunities. And I think part of that is he's having more time on the ball. And if you kind of look at how Dallas has played over the last 
you know, five games, their first five games of the season, they've kind of had some high press situations where he's had to play it quick, short, and then other situations where he's had time on the ball to pick his head up and pick out the perfect pass. And it's kind of funny how that's, he's really, really um, starting to show up with that. And on top of everything, his expected goal chains has increased um, by almost 40%. Now, those are usually really high for center backs, though, right? Um, it, it's hit and miss, right? It's it, how it, how influential is that center back to the play, to to the buildup beforehand? Uh, Matt Hedges was, you know, he, he was okay. He he was doing his part, and his part in times past with Oscar Perea's team was getting the ball forward and sometimes playing a little bit riskier balls to mm-hmm. launch those counterattacks, right? Uh, because transition was key for Dallas in the in times past. Now that transition is, he's part of that transition. He's no longer um, launching that transition. He's a member of keeping that possession and opening up spots in that midfield, in that um, zone 14, zone, um, I want to say, what's the zone? Zone 16. Um, And he's part of helping find those holes so that Paxton Pomichol and uh, the various uh, center midfielders that they have, um, and the specific one is escaping me presently, but that's how these guys are, are, are basically finding opportunities is Matt Hedges is, is really um, becoming more and more an emphasis within that attack. And I thought that was crazy interesting. Yeah, it it does, and it kind of speaks to this idea of the new Dallas. And I don't think that I, for one, expected there to be this big of a difference uh, in this transition. I thought coming through the organization, they were probably similar schools of thought. I would say they're not disparate schools of thought by any means, but, um, you know, I I think that there's been like an actual philosophical shift where I thought the philosophy would be more the same with some of the personnel changed out a little bit. But it seems like they're going about doing things differently, and... um, I think they're doing better than a lot of people expected they would this year because of that. Well, what's kind of funny is you have an ongoing bet with one of uh, our other ASA. I do, and you know what? Like it's, I that was like ninety percent Vance bet. Like I just gave no, to- yeah, six totally. fantasy dollars to just Vance fill and make him mad. But um, it's going to be closer than anybody thought, and not well, because of Dallas, but because of Cincy is doing better than I think a lot of people thought that they would. Oh, I, I don't think you're – so it, it's a two-parter, right? Dallas is doing better than I think most people thought. But yeah. Cincy is doing better than most people thought. So it's like this weird it, – yeah. it's this weird situation to where both teams are doing better than what we had thought, but it's still close enough to where we're not sure who's going to come who's out, gonna come out on top of this And, and yeah. I think it's crazy interesting, uh, especially uh, with the fact that both of them – and Dallas isn't necessarily starting from scratch, but in many ways, you know, they're they're definitely retooling. They're, yeah, they're there was a performing bit of a, a makeover. Yeah. So, well, uh, we wish FC Dallas uh, all the luck going forward, and Matt Hedges uh, with all his very long passes. We hope to see that continue um, as we search for the truly great MLS ball playing center back. Uh, can we talk about Mark Dos Santos? <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, so. Uh, my man, Mark Dos Santos, MDS, uh, managed to get his first point in Major League Soccer, uh, holding Seattle uh, at home. They took a, a nil-nil draw. And we watched this game, uh, both of us, and I think that we both came away with a couple of impressions. Um, <laughs> not necessarily similar. <laughs> not at all necessarily similar. Um <laughs> One was that I felt that Vancouver addressed Seattle's strengths and attacks very well and nullified it extremely well. And I think that speaks to a very, very good game plan. I want to start with that. I, I think you're right on. Um, I also think that Seattle uh, adjusted well. And I think that they, uh, in the second half, kind of put on a different sort of thing. And, and they, 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 they kind of forced Vancouver to the brink. But ultimately... Uh, you know, that defense holds strong. Great performances from uh, Daniel Henry, um, the Crepeau. Um, you know, 
Great, great stuff. Um, See, and, and that's uh, where that's where we're di- that's where we did. Yeah, because you don't like it because it was crossing. I, it's not that I dislike it because it's crossing, right? Like we've talked about this. There are good crosses to be made. Yes, and that was the they, plan. Okay, but that's what. Okay, because there's uh, sorry, but all right. So there's one good cross, right? That I like. It's that byline cutback. Byline cutback to the top of the box. That's I'm a good a, cross. Uh, it's okay. Yeah, it's like I, I don't. I'm not gonna rouse against it. You know, a lot of times you get behind that defense, and and that was the problem, right? They they definitely had a uh, Seattle had an issue getting behind Vancouver's defense at mm-hmm. times. Yeah, um, and they've been very good at playing low crosses, and they were forced in the second half to play to try higher crosses, which wasn't the most, I'd say, tactically brilliant strategy <laughs> but it, no it, it was it, a bad it, it was a, it was a bad strategy it was, but it i think was, they looked more dangerous in the second half didn't they like there was a period there where they really forced and i, I know the xgs are going to show up because a lot of those crosses were just going over someone's head or someone just wasn't quite getting on the end of it yeah no it it, it really doesn't and and here's here's the here's the thing a lot of times something came about it because somebody misplayed a ball right like there's a couple of situations that came about mm-hmm. because um either russell tiber who was like dealing with a separated shoulder and was at and for some reason started um was out there on the field and you know surprise surprise he was starting to get a little tired get a little bit of run down uh and you know he made some errors and there was a couple situations where he didn't clear a ball properly and there was a yeah. another situation i think uh daniel henry i don't think he it was him it was whoever his uh partner was his center back Godoy. duo yeah mm-hmm. Godoy didn't properly clear a ball and it gave seattle a secondary opportunity and and ultimately that's what you're looking for either you're looking to win that initial uh challenge or you're looking for that ball to come off in the box that can build a secondary opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. That's ultimately the the idea of putting it in the mixer. You know, I'm using air quotes right now. You can't see my my hands, but I'm extremely sarcastic right now. Yeah, yeah, I heard the air quotes in your voice. But we're <laughs> but, friends, so maybe just I can hear that because we've been doing this long enough. Now. But um, I, <laughs> if they they didn't, there was so many times that Vancouver itself. their defense had these really well-developed lines that Mm -hmm. they were really well that it it prevented opportunities for open shots from distance that Seattle actively passed on. And to me, that's a bigger missed opportunity than missing a cross than not connecting with a cross. Yeah. Um, Seattle definitely actively, I think Svensson took one in the first half that, nearly unsettled second, everybody second, second half, half. Yeah, yeah and it, it um, was it was a rocket and i came out of my chair and like was clapping yeah i think uh i would have liked to have seen some more of those shots too but uh let's let's focus more on um the game plan i want to talk more about this like from a uh game management standpoint which i think mark dos santos did just extremely well yeah I he's kind of cunning i think he nullified Seattle's attack in the first half. I think there was some fortune in, in weathering, uh, you know, the second attack uh, that kind of came out in the second half. And I think once Seattle started to tire, get a little frustrated, a little desperate to push things forward, that's when you saw Vancouver start to try to spring these longer uh, balls to try to play these counterattacks, and it darn near won them a game. They came very, very close. Um, they did win the XG battle 1.18 to 1.08, according to uh, Ben Bear. Uh, I'm going to call a little bit of eh on that because looks like the two main shots on that were more or less the same play. I know we've had this yeah, conversation yeah, before it, about should we, should we maybe not call like those quick rebounds, like two separate chances. Cause it's sort of when looking at it here, it looks like two chances, but really it was one kind of set of play that, that was covered. Well, that was something um, that we discussed. I mean, we really did have a conversation. I think it's important yeah. to have that conversation, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Because it's been discussed because yeah, you can, you can really like a couple of quick things that come out of a goalkeeper that aren't at a great angle, but are close to the goal, but the goalkeepers already got it covered. That wasn't the case here. This was actually a, required a very good save from Fry and a, a very great stop from uh, Kim Kihi. Um, but, but we do see this occasionally in, uh, this thing where a rebound will come off of uh, come out of a goalkeeper's arms to a player, but they're, he's a foot away from the goalkeeper who's able to just grab it again um, on the shot. So it's not like 
as dangerous as it looked. But that can kind of inflate an, uh, an XG score, I guess is what I'm saying. No, and, and you're totally right. Those those are the two uh, best opportunities on the night. Well, maybe like uh, opportunity one and opportunity three on the night, right? For a just total shot value. And it yeah. comes from the same play. So obviously Vancouver wasn't exceedingly dangerous. That being said, they did have a couple opportunities themselves that were, weren't recorded. Kelvin Leardam stepping in between Freddie Montero and a shot that was about to happen was absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant. Uh, you know, Freddie needed to do a little bit better with his positioning on that, but uh, I was really tracking back like DeAndre Yedlin's speed. To yeah. just like just snuff out an opportunity to it, it wasn't even but it wasn't yeah. even deandre yedlin's speed so much as it was just smooth silky defending and that's something yeah. like yedlin was never really known for <laughs> maybe still isn't maybe still isn't maybe still isn't uh, uh but uh, i i will say there is a couple of individuals um and, and i believe one of them was uh last uh for um vancouver who just um, my goodness, was like a freight train with the ball at his feet. Once he had, once he got into space, he got past Svensson, and it took a really good uh, moment from Chad Marshall to uh, basically just kind of yank that ball from him uh, off mm-hmm. his feet. Otherwise, uh, it kind of felt like he was just going to run straight into goal and just, just like, you know, American uh, Football Association uh, just completely just tackle him and yeah is uh, it AFA, I, afa that that failed today what do you, I, I don't know i don't know it was okay. an arena thing a it, afa afa okay yeah. yeah i was trying to make like uh, some catchy reference you were gonna you're trying to be topical i, I was like trying to be topical and make a joke the, uh, at the same time it failed Egg so i guess face. i guess what i'd say about this game more than anything is i would look to vancouver fans to those that listen and i would say that there was a lot here to be excited about and um not necessarily in the on the field performance yet i think that'll come um but i think in the way the game plan was engineered i think in the way that a game plan holistically was carried out and i think uh that's something that we didn't see in years past with vancouver i thought this game was managed extremely well and i think a lot of this game kind of took place in the margins um for both teams and Mm -hmm. i would also not encourage seattle fans to throw up their hands and panic because they didn't have another four goal weekend like these games are going to happen um well, it's really hard to like tell Seattle fans to be patient when they see LAFC and you know, yeah. and <laughs> right, you know, right. Sporting Kansas City those throw are, up those combined are twelve goals. Yeah, right? those are the outliers. Those are the outliers. And, <laughs> uh, you know, that that's going to happen occasionally, and I, I would not be surprised to see Seattle put six past somebody this year, it, it, given the right set of circumstances on the day. Um, they certainly have the players to do it. Um, that wasn't this game. This game, uh, you know, Seattle and Vancouver usually do have kind of cagey affairs, and I, I don't think that I would call this game. Um, it was a very exciting nil-nil draw with a lot of stuff happening that it's not really showing up on the stat sheet. And it's a rare that I, I feel like I can say that honestly. So, um, yeah, I thought it was really cool, and uh, I, I was really pleased with how uh, Mark Dos Santos did in, in his first really, really big game. And I, I completely agree with you. Um, I will say that there was one thing that I just uh, just observing he, the spacing for the defenders and their immediate transition when Seattle would get the ball back to defense was exceptionally good. Yeah, um, they really did a great job of preventing Seattle from getting on the break, and I think that's one of the bigger things. Uh, again, defensively, Vancouver was just really good, really well organized. I, I was, I was impressed, and also from the other side of it, I thought they were really good being in their, in their transition to being um, direct. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of fruit from it, and you know, ultimately, they didn't execute the way that they should have. But there was a lot of exciting moments that just didn't come off for them and i think within a couple of months that could very well change and you could see them become a a very thriving very dangerous uh counter-attacking team at at certain points and even a team that could probably hold possession uh because they have the they have the they have the pieces to do it if they if they so desire yeah if you if you're patient with with this coach with this team um i think you're gonna be very happy with how things go in the future agreed um, all right, well, let's let's move on from, from Mark Dos Santos and talk about uh, probably, like, I would say the most, well, that's not true, because Montreal got destroyed. That was probably the most surprising result. 
Um, I don't know. I, I felt like there was a lot. I, I mean, I, I will tell you for, on uh, MLS Fantasy, I'm playing with a friend this year. I, I usually have kind of abstained from MLS mm-hmm. Fantasy, but this year I'm doing it. I went ahead and went all in on sporting Kansas City's defense with Piotti being out. So I, th- I felt like yeah. this was already kind of in the can. Like sporting Kansas City was going to come away with three points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm not surprised they lost. I'm surprised that it finished seven-one. Right, that it was a trash fire. Yeah, um, I, I had a lot of people like message me to be like, "Oh, is Montreal awful?" No, no, they're not great, but they're not that bad. Like, I, I don't. Why? First of all, you are the most admitted person that you have no clue what's going on with Montreal. Who's out there texting you about Montreal? Because Listen, I, and, and I, I know more than a Mark, lot of people about Montreal. It's not Mark. It's not <laughs> other people. That's a Mark. It's different Mark. Uh, no, no, no. People, people ask me things, Harrison. My opinion is respected on it the is, internet. It is. So I'm, I'm just. Uh, uh, I'm yeah. Just uh, no, we've had, I've had this conversation with a few people that 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 I think Montreal is not. An excellent team, but they are not uh, getting beat like that every week kind of team. <laughs> I don't think any team is, but I don't think they're a bad team. I think just uh, SKC were very, very good on the day. Uh, had a lot of things go SKC's way, um, as as they deserved from from the performance, and uh, it just kind of all culminated in that rare, um, tra- uh, you know, just just straight up uh, blowout that you, we so rarely see in this sport, especially this league. Yeah, it's it's rare for that to happen. Um, it takes a, an amazing amount of circumstances, although I feel like we saw it last year early on with, uh, not to this extent, but, you know, we saw... Also some, Montreal. Yeah, also Montreal. <laughs> so maybe just once a year so. they do this. And then Montreal kind of righted the ship and they, they ended up pushing really strong in the East. So, uh, and I think it's more or less the same team. Um, maybe even a little bit better than it was last year. I think they're I don't know. maybe a little bit better. Yeah. I'd say as good as that uh, Sephir Titer man. I was I was gonna say he's he's been exceptional and and I, uh, he still showed up. Uh, t- I felt like he was one of the few people that showed up from Montreal. Yeah, I made a, a, a I made a call a couple weeks ago and on on my ASA column that within a few months he would be discussed as the most uh, the best underrated player in the league. And I stand by that that people are gonna start saying he's underrated soon, which is the first sign <laughs> that he's but- no longer underrated. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, great player there, but um, yeah, I, I don't don't lose sleep, Montreal fans. It, it happens. Just just you know, forget about it. It's Chinatown. I mean, things could be worse. You could go on the road and lose because your best defensive player kicks the ball into his own net. That's true. That's true. Um, Which is New York exactly, Rebels? Yeah. This surprised me because they were very not good. And I'm not used to seeing the Red Bulls be very not good. The last time I saw them be very not good was actually in the playoffs last year against Atlanta, who I think were just more or less just outplayed by Atlanta. Um, this was just a very dull sort of uh, lifeless performance from a team that um, you just don't expect that from. Yeah, I mean, they're known for their energy and they're known for getting yeah. around. Um, can I can I suggest something to you? Sure. I, this is This is... Uh, wild um and, and i can't believe this is coming is chicago good no uh, hmm. i think chicago, well i think chicago might be good well here's why because the i don't like it because they're chicago and every time i've said that in the past they've been not good uh, but, but you're not saying it. i am saying it oh yeah they're fine they're fine they're decent i'll give them some credit here, here, here's something that we we talked about this this week um, uh, in ASA Slack. Uh, I don't know if you followed along in the conversation, but at what point, you know, and, and we have this conversation every year. Uh, at what point do we start really looking at expected goal differential as the predictor in points, right? And the predictor in um, in, in in table. Um, I feel like that's a conversation that we have. Uh, yeah, at what point do we are expected goals validated? Uh, later. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it's it, certainly. Um, so, um, in the meantime, uh, the the short term, uh, a better means of, uh, I guess, predictive power is uh, TSR. Okay. Total shot ratio. Yeah. Yeah. Chicago's top of it. They have a positive mm. expected goal differential. 
Hmm. You know who's number two in TSR? Montreal. <laughs> New York. Is it New York? It is. No, so this was a clash of titans. We just didn't know it? I mean, possibly. I, it, <laughs> I mean, it's possible that, you know, there's a lot going on within that Red Bulls organization right now with all the various, um, yeah, of course, you of know, course. issues. Uh, LAFC is number three. Yeah. And Houston, number four, DC, number five. I feel like if you were to get, if I were to say, hey, is New York Red Bulls one of the best teams in the league? You would probably say. Yes. Uh, yes. LAFC. Probably the best. Yes. DC United. Yes. Houston, maybe. Eh. Maybe. Maybe. But Chicago. Chicago no. leads all of them. And I, I, I you know, mm. look, it's not judging the quality of their chances, although their chances have been better than average. They're, they're finding opportunities to score. And I, 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 I liked I'm, a lot of what they had last year. Um, I thought there were really good pieces there, so I guess I shouldn't be too surprised to see this. And uh, they add Frankowski. They they had you know they yeah, have he a, looks good. They uh, had tough games against the Galaxy. Mihailovic is healthy. Um, and now Nicholas Gaetan. And, and Gaetan, yeah. So uh, I mean, I, I think I doubt that defense. That's where my my suspicions have lied, and I I don't think I'm. I'm resolved to say that that defense is not bad. Uh, yeah. However, um, I, I, I'm content to say that they might not be as bad as what I thought. And they maybe, maybe could be, uh, you know, a seventh, sixth seed. Chicago, not as bad as we might have thought. Yeah. There you Mark go. It. Chicago should do that thing that Philadelphia did for you last year where they take your quote. <laughs> and put it in a graphic and bake it on a tweet and it just says Chicago. Maybe not as bad as I originally thought. Harrison Crow ASA show. <laughs> if you're uh, out there, Chicago, if you if the Chicago Fire is listening, hit me up. Uh, I can the, uh, I can I can help make that happen. They're busy uh moving out of that I stadium. know. They're busy dropping leaks of text message exchanges. I don't even know what to say about that. Uh, good for them. Uh we've long been frowny face at the organization and uh it would be good to get chicago back up in the fold so all right man um we did it we did it i don't really have anything else to talk about we got another kind of half week here uh some teams are off i believe uh going into the saturday we have some we have some buys um but we'll certainly be back to talk about whatever happens hopefully another referee controversy hopefully another team gets beat 7-1 we'd like to see that um what if it's Atlanta? I don't know. Anything Atlanta's off this week. I'm sorry, buddy. Well, won't be Atlanta. Boy, if any team needs a week off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for reals. Uh, yeah. It's been, been a rough go there. Well, we don't, want, we don't want to rehash that again. It's much fun as we have talking about that complete transition. Um, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll touch up, uh, get an Atlanta progress report again next week um, from some of our uh, some of our Atlanta friends. So uh, we'll see. Um Thank you very much for listening. Um, you can find, uh, oh, thank you to my uh, co-host, my friend, uh, my colleague, Harrison Crow. You can find him on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at a handle for Ian. Uh, please follow American Soccer Analysis on Twitter. That handle is at Analysis Evolved. And visit our website, www.americansoccernalysis.com. Uh, we've got all the best resources there if you're into stats uh check out our interactive table uh which is updated regularly uh just a it's a priceless tool i will say that harris and i will say that not a day goes by i'm not fiddling with that thing um and uh, appreciating its existence and it's all free it's all free people get in there learn more about soccer uh also we've got some articles going up this week from uh our man harrison here had some thoughts uh some of which we cover a little bit today a little more in depth in the written form so uh, be sure to check that out uh thanks again for listening we'll see you next week and until then enjoy the soccer
hyckler försiktig Är icke färt att bli bombet i stycken Läser artiklar om styckekonflikter Delar ett inlägg som tjuret även mina liker Det tas till tryck så är foten din fylld för resten av uka Som att annars känsla av ett problem är särskilt i boka Moralpolitiet förlater uniformen med tastaturen Principen är faner och värdiene skurrer